Welcome to Behind the Warrior, a podcast presented by the EOD Warrior Foundation. This series will focus on resources, interviews, and topics impacting EOD warriors, their families, and the military community at large. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Behind the Warrior podcast. I am your host, Maria Shabla, and today we are very excited to be trying something new, which is our very first podcast via Zoom. Today, our guest is Tim Medvets, who is the founder of The Heroes Project. Welcome to the podcast, Tim. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. Um, I would also like to start this podcast out with a shout out to active duty Air Force EOD technician Michael Workman, who is currently climbing Mount Kilimanjaro um, to bring awareness for the EOD Warrior Foundation. So thank you so much, Michael, and you rock. Summit or bus, baby. Summit or bus. <laughs> I can't get over the synchronicity of this moment. <laughs> because I know. I mean, there, I literally have a picture of an EOD bomb tech right on the wall behind me that was on Kilimanjaro. That is wild. It is so yeah. meant to be. <laughs> Definitely. So all the all the luck to you, buddy. Yay. No quitting. No quitting. Awesome. Summit or bust. <laughs> Well, cool. So, Tim, I like to start every podcast from the beginning. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your childhood, and where did you grow up? Yeah, I grew up in the greatest state in America, the great state of New Jersey. Everybody knows that, of course. You can just Google it. New Jersey <laughs> is the greatest state. <laughs> I hadn't heard that, um, but... <laughs> I, <laughs> listen, you got to be proud where you're from. Never forget where you come from. Um, and I am a proud Jersey boy. Uh, I, I mean, I grew up, you know, real simple blue collar workers, you know, dad was a, a lineman working on the poles, electrician, mom worked at the local bank, you know, small little suburbia town, we had woods and a creek at the end of the block, football, baseball, um, playing in the woods, dirt bikes, BMX bikes, you know, jumping things, bumper hitching on the back of cars in the winter time. And, you know, I had the paper route when I was eight years old and dad had me working since I was a young kid and I had the greatest childhood. I was raised by a man. My dad was actually in the national guard. Um, and so, you know, I was, I uh, had a very great childhood and it definitely uh, made me the man I am today. So, but when I turned 18, I just wanted a little bit more than small town Jersey. And then I, you know, moved to New York City, which is only about a 45 minute drive from where I lived. <clears throat> and then started working in the New York City. And I was a big badass bouncer at the nightclub, checking IDs and throwing people out. And you know, <laughs> got my first Harley. And and then uh, things just kind of took me. I just had a, a thirst for travel. And um decided to move down to Brazil, had all these aspirations about being a big cage fighter. And I wanted to go train with the Gracie brothers and jujitsu. And so I moved down there and lived in Brazil for two years when I was 21 um, and just trained pretty much every day and then came back. And that was just kind of gave me the traveling bug. And that traveling bug has taken me to over 93 countries, all seven continents all over the world. And uh, a lot of great stories but probably the most pivotal story chapter of my life was when I moved out to Los Angeles and I was doing about a hundred miles an hour down one of, one of the side city streets. Someone pulled out, do a U-turn, bam, hit it at a hundred miles an hour and 
bam, woke up in the hospital. It was on September 10th, 2001 at 7.30 p.m. Wow. And uh, I woke up in the morning. And I remember before they put me under, I remember getting carried to the hospital. I mean, getting carried, you know, into the ambulance, got to the hospital. And I remember the doctor saying, you know, we might have to remove your foot. We might have to cut your foot off. You know, I don't know if we were going to be able to save it. You know, my body was mangled. I remember like when I landed on the ground after hitting the vehicle, I remember like my foot was on my left of my head, like looking at my foot and it was just dangling off. I could see the bone. Like it was horrific. And I just remember looking at the doctor. It was just like, when I wake up tomorrow morning, I better have a foot or I'm going to kill you. You better get my, I better have a foot there, you know, and then boom, anesthesia hits. And then I wake up in the morning and I didn't realize how bad it was. I mean, I broke my skull. My back was, I mean, it was just like my, my lungs were punctured. Like I just, uh, yeah, it was really bad. And I woke up on a respirator uh, breathing for me. And I remember opening my eyes and the first thing I thought of was him cutting my foot off. And I first thing I did was like, okay, check. I'm in a hospital. I'm in a hospital check. I'm alive. Check. And then I look down, I see my toes. I'm like, okay, great. I didn't cut my foot off. And then it just I started like trying to get people's attention, but I couldn't speak because I had this tube down my throat breathing for me. Mm-hmm. And I noticed there was all these doctors and nurses in my room like a lot of them, like, like a dozen of them. And nobody was looking at me. Everybody was staring up at the wall and I'm just sitting there like, you know, I can't get anybody's attention. Like, hello, I'm over here. I'm over here. And then I just started scanning my eyes up. It was like 9 30 AM approximately on September 11, 2001. Cause I crashed on September 10th. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking up oh, and wow. everybody, all the doctors and nurses were in the hospital in my room and they were glued to the television. And I just literally watched the Twin Towers crumbling down. Wow. And my, you know, and, and this is horrible to say, but like my first reaction, I'll never forget. It was just like, you know, turn that shit off. I got my own problems. Give me some attention over here. Yeah. I mean, obviously not a, not realizing the extent of, you know, what was happening to the country and our lives were lost. Like I just at that moment it was just, you know, I'm over here. Me. Mm-hmm. All about me, me, me. And uh, next thing you know, it just it started this whole um, journey to getting my life back. And I was, you know, finally got out of that hospital, went to another hospital, then a rehab hospital. It was a wheelchair for four months and then wheelchair to the walker, to the crutches, to the cane, you know, learning how to do everything again. Doctors telling me, be lucky you're alive, you know, and here I am like traveling the world you know, cage fighting. And I was in, you know, I was in the Hells Angels motorcycle club and I was like, you know, this big guy at top of the world. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, I'm like, people feeling sorry for me. And so I just couldn't accept that I was so badly injured. And I just started abusing the pain pills and the booze and I just anything to numb the pain mm-hmm. so I can get up and go out and like go into a bar and I would, you know, start swinging at people to prove I can get into a bar fight and wow. I can get on a motorcycle and like I was anything to like become who I used to be. Wow. And it's just was this whole one year of self-destructive phase. And I, when I actually went into a physical rehab after I got out of the hospital, you know, and it was just like squeeze the ball, 
you know, walk a couple of feet and do this, do that, try and grab a box of cereal from the cabinets. And, and it just wasn't for me. I just needed something else mm-hmm. to get my life back. But I turned to, you know, numbing the pain. And then one day I just was sitting in my apartment. I was in Hollywood, California and feeling sorry for myself and all doped up. And I seen this book on my shelf into thin air by John Krakauer. And it was this book about the 96 biggest commercial disaster on Mount Everest. And nine people perished. And I could not put this book down. And I'm just like guzzling the whiskey and I'm paid, turning the page and reading. I was just so into this book. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, bam, I finished the book. I passed out. I woke up in the morning. I literally just, it was a light bulb went off. That's it. I'm going to go climb Mount Everest. This is my, (laughs) this is how I'm going to become a man again. This is how I'm going to recover. And I walked, I I grabbed it. I had to interrupt you because I, when you told me that initially, I was like, how is this like disaster on a mountain where eight people die inspired you? Like, I'm going to go climb that very dangerous mountain. I mean, it's probably the same (laughs) reason why. You know, someone decides to become an EOD bomb tech. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> especially Funny. the guys that, especially the guys that did it. You know, while you know guys were getting injured on a daily basis mm-hmm. over in Afghanistan. Yes, you know, and then yes, someone yes. says, oh, "That's what I want to do." Like, yeah, no, it's had a different effect on me. I guess some people are wired different, mm-hmm. and so it, that was like my inspiration, mm-hmm. and so that led me to walking over to the bathroom and dumping my Costco jar of Percocets, Vicodins and dumping it down the toilet Mm. and the rest of the booze that I had down the toilet knocked on the neighbor's door, said, I'm going to go climb Mount Everest and uh, (laughs) I'm renting my apartment. You know, anybody wants it, (laughs) which is really funny. Try that on your friends sometime. Look on their face. It's it's priceless. I'm going to tell somebody I'm going to climb Mount Everest and see what <laughs> it's, it's, it's priceless. So, yeah, 30 days later, I bought a one-way ticket to Nepal and uh, put all my stuff in storage and took off, not knowing if I'd come back. Threw out the cell phone at the airport. Wow. Got up to the Himalayas, bought all my climbing gear. And at that point in my life, I you know, I did a lot of rock climbing and backpacking, things like that, but nothing like, you know, climbing mountains, big mountaineering. Mm-hmm. And so I figured I needed to learn. And if you're going to learn, you know, how to climb a big mountain like that, well, the best climbers in the world are the Sherpas mm-hmm. in Nepal. So I figured if I go live with them, learn from the best. And that wow. was, that was what took me to Nepal. And I basically just engulfed myself into that world and climbed every peak surrounding Everest and, you know, honed up my climbing skills and, you know, basically had this put myself into a place where there was no noise from the outside world. There was no friends. There was no family. There was no Wi-Fi. There was no cell phone service. And it was that was my path, my vehicle to getting my life back. And it was the mountains that was that vehicle. And then, you know, a couple of years later, Boom, first attempt on Everest, boom, summit the mountain after I summit Everest, you come back and then it's like, what's next? Mm-hmm. You, know, what you do next. And so it's like, you're, you know, your buddies would be sitting at the bar drinking a beer and you're like, oh, you know, and your buddy's like, so what are you going to do now? How are you going to top that? You know? <laughs> and I really didn't know what to do. And then one day it was Veterans Day and I was watching a, a veteran special and the special 
was about all these guys who got injured over in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I remember them just getting up there on the podium and speaking about how proud they were to serve their country and they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't turn back the clock and they wouldn't change nothing. This one guy was just burned beyond recognition from, you know, an IED explosion. And he was basically just like trapped in his home V and, and he survived, but he just didn't even look like a human. He was burned so much. And I remember him talking about how proud of America and I love serving my country and this and that. I'm like getting all choked up and fighting back the tears. Yeah. You know, and then seeing all these guys missing limbs. And so I went down to Balboa Naval Hospital, which is down in San Diego, California. And a lot of the guys, when they were coming back from the war injured, they would either go to Walter Reed or they would go to Balboa. And I got the opportunity to go down there and visit with some guys. And I just remember sitting in the courtyard and just watching all these young kids you know, like getting wheeled by missing limbs one after the other after the other. And it was just, it was traumatizing. I was just like, holy shit, how come I'm not hearing about this on the news? Mm-hmm. Why am I hearing about the Kardashians and Jay-Z going to Cuba and all it's this crap? so true. Why isn't this being like, oh my God, like these guys are coming back, like just missing all kinds of limbs. And it was just madness. And so, you know, after I kind of let that all kind of sink in, it was like, boom, like that moment when I was sitting on the couch, all doped up. And I had that light bulb when I I read that book mm-hmm. and that was like the light bulb. And so now I'm sitting there minus, you know, being, you know, drunk and pilled up and I'm watching this going, that's it. You know, maybe I have something to offer these guys. Maybe I can show them, you know, what I did to become a man again, to get my life back again. And so for me, it was like the vehicle of using the mountains to rehabilitate myself and you know, and, and I broke every bone in my body. I got metal from my head to my back to my elbows, shoulders, knees, fake ankle. Like, I can go down the list. Like, you got to see me at the airport. Mm, <laughs> like, I amazing. can't imagine. <laughs> but, you know, obviously, I'm not going to sit here and say that my injuries compare, not even close to what a guy who's, you know, missing some limbs, severely injured. I'm not, you know, comparing myself to that at all. But what I can compare myself, what I can relate to, is that journey from the hospital bed to standing upright again. And I know that story all too well. And I know what saved me, what got my life back. And that was climbing mountains. And so, bam, next thing you know, I get on a plane. I got a kid as an army guy. He's missing a leg. And, you know, I got blown up in Iraq. And we I trained him for a few months. And then we had no idea what I was doing. And then we got to Russia and we went on this like three, four week journey up the highest mountain in Europe, this like badass glaciated mountain, Mount Elbrus. And then we finally, after like three, four weeks of just absolute hell, it was like we were literally like 50 feet from the summit. And I took the rope off him and said, this is, you know, you got yourself up here and it has nothing to do with me or you did it, you know, so go get with yours, go get it. You know? Oh my gosh. Okay. And I just sat there and I watched him take those last 50 steps of the summit and he threw his arms up in the air. He's screaming and yelling and I did it. I did it. He's crying. And I was just sitting there watching all this unfold. And then after like, you know, 15 minutes of that, I was like, all right, you know, come on, we got to go. Let's yeah, go. You know, yeah. We got to get back down, you know? And he's like, I'm not leaving you get up here. And it was one, it was that moment when I finally realized like the last thing on my mind 
was taking those last 50 steps and getting on the summit and taking the photos. Now I could put it on my wall, mm-hmm. you know, and tell all my buddies I climbed the biggest mountain in Europe. It was the furthest thing from my head. And that was like the moment when like, you know, the Tim show ended mm-hmm. and the Heroes Project started. Wow. And, all, and that's why I have that picture behind me on the wall, because that was finally he convinced me to get up there and hug it out and and then our one of our guys took that photo of us, and that was the moment when the Heroes Project was born. Wow! And so wow! Came back, and then uh, next thing you know, boom! Started working with the Wounded Warrior Battalion down at Camp Pendleton, and reached out to EOD Warrior Foundation, reached out to Semper Fi, reached out to all the different organizations, you know, and basically just started putting out there what we're doing, and then it just kind of went from one marine to a navy guy another one and a lot of our guys that we've you know we've we've trained were eod guys you know we put the first combat wounded vet on the summit of mount everest uh it was charlie linville and he was a eod awesome guy. um and uh the guy like i said over here it's mark zambon he was a staff sergeant with the marine corps and he'd been blown up five times, and that's him standing on the summit of Kilimanjaro just eight months after he lost both his legs. Right on. We took in all the guys that we've worked with of all missing limbs, and they've all summited some of the highest mountains in the world. And we're still plugging away and doing it. And it's just, you know, I never served in the military. You know, I was in a more so club, so it was a little different type of military. <laughs> just a little so, bit. <laughs> a little bit. So for me, it was like this was, you know, I always like wondered what if, you know, if I did, you know, enlist. And so when I see all these guys that are going through boot camp and putting their four years in and going overseas and all these tour duties, like, you know, for me, having a little bit of a part of that journey of giving back to the guys who have served me and protected my freedoms and the way of life that I have in this great country of ours, that's the least I can do. And I feel it's every American's duty and part to actually do something and give back, whether it's a simple handshake, thanking you for serving, you know, and thanks for doing what I didn't do, you know, and we haven't forgotten about you. And that's what the Heroes Project is about. It's just letting them know that we know you're there and we got you. And we built this huge community out here in Southern California um, massive community and we have like our events drawing over a thousand people. And so there's a big push for people, you know, looking after our, our vets when they get out. So there you go. That, that's how it started. That's your, that was a pretty long awesome. answer. Huh? That was awesome. No, it's an amazing story and it's incredible. And one of the first questions that comes to my mind is, so you have this epiphany after reading this book and then you decide you're going to move and you start the training, but what what keeps you what kept you motivated to put the work in every single day? Because I think a lot of people kind of might have an idea, but the follow through is the hard part. So what motivates you? I was just like it was one of those things like after getting off that mountain with Keith, the guy behind me, that 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 um Russia climb, it was just like holy crap, like I just watched this kid's life literally change in front of my eyes. And then when we get back to the States, like just you, you become like this, you get this brotherhood now mm-hmm. when you go through something like that with somebody that you just, that bond never breaks. And it was just like, holy shit, like this all worked. We just changed someone's life. Like, oh my God. And then all of a sudden I get a, get a call from another guy like, hey, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, I'll, one more guy and then that's it, you know, and then another guy, that's it. 
And then I started realizing like, holy shit, this is not cheap. (laughs) And so I ended up, obviously I started the Heroes Project. I had no idea how to run a nonprofit. Filled all the paperwork, paid a guy a few bucks, sent the paperwork through. Six months later, I get the papers. You now have a 51C3. And I was like, this panic moment, like, holy shit, what do I do? You know? Mm -hmm. And so I went down to the local Barnes and Nobles bookstore and I bought nonprofit for dummies. (laughs) Seems like a good way to start it. (laughs) I read the whole book. It even comes with a CD. Oh my gosh, (laughs) it's that old. (laughs) (laughs) And I read this literally from front to back. And uh, just kind of figured it out. But to answer your question, like, it's just one of those things where it's so cliche, but it's like, it is legitimately better to give than receive. And so if I can give a little bit about my knowledge and how I recovered Mm -hmm. and help one guy out, you know, I'd rather make, I'd rather make a larger impact on one guy's life rather than make a little impact on a lot of guys' lives. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's important to me. So every guy that we've taken through this program, it's been every weekend for, you know, four to six months, eight months of training, and then all with that goal of climbing the biggest mountain, you know, on every continent around the world. And now we're doing a thing called the seven volcanoes, which is the seven highest volcanoes on every continent. And we have just... You know, we're not for everybody. You know, there's Mm -hmm. a lot of great organizations out there. You know, you guys are a nonprofit. You do great things. EOD was a huge help in the beginning days because we, I didn't have a lot of money. Like I was pulling these event, these, these climbs off with like on a beer budget, man. Like I, I mean, I was getting buddy miles from people from airlines. Like, I mean, we were staying in shitty motels. Like I just pulled it off. And so, and climbing, you need a lot of gear and the gear is expensive. Mm Mm-hmm. And a lot of the guys, EOD Warrior Foundation, wrote checks and helped purchase a lot of their gear. And that was a huge help for the foundation. And so, like, I, I'm just indebted to the, your foundation forever. Like, you got a fan. <laughs> like, that whatever is awesome. Know. I'd love to hear Why that. I'm also on this podcast because, yeah. like, you guys were a part of that journey of getting those guys to the summits of these mountains. You know, so it's like the old saying, right? It takes a village. Mm-hmm. Well, the Warrior Foundation is that village. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Tim, for saying yeah. that. So, um, so I'm kind of curious if you can walk us through the journey from like, how does somebody apply and how do you select who's going to climb? Are there like requirements, um, like physical requirements? And then what does it look like to start training and then to get you all the way to the top of the mountain? What's that process? Um, well, you know, again, going back to what I was saying, like, we're not for everyone. Mm-hmm, There's a lot mm-hmm. of great organizations. You got, you know, you got injured veteran, you know, taking guys on hunt, hunting trips and fishing trips and fly fishing trips and scuba diving and golfing and, you know, <laughs> par- para skiing, you know, and like, there's like all this, these great organizations that do great stuff. True. For me, my personal journey I had to put myself back in harm's way. I had to put myself in the line of danger. Like I had to go climb a mountain that people die on. Mm -hmm. And I needed that because of the way I'm wired to rehabilitate. Going into a rehab unit and squeezing a ball Mm -hmm. and listening to some guy telling me to walk a few steps and, you know, step over this. It just, I'm not wired like that. Like I need to like, rappel off of a hundred foot cliff, you know, 
I need to get out an ice axe and be dangling on a, on a, on an ice wall. You know, like that's, that's just how I'm wired. And so mm-hmm. for me, I was so lost and injured that I just really need to be shooken up and I need to be put back in harm's way. And that's what the heroes project does. Mm-hmm. We were extreme. And so to do that stuff, you can't just show up to the mountain unprepared. You know, like Vince Lombardi once said, he said, failing to prepare is preparing to fail. Mm-hmm. And no guy that I'm taking to one of these mountains that people die on is going to be not prepared because I always train them to get to the point where if if all of us fall off the mountain and we plummet to our death and you're the only one left and you're missing some limbs or you're, you're dealing with PTSD or you're, whatever your injury is that got you there, can you get yourself back down off this mountain without the rest of the team? And that's, I want you to have all those skills. So to do that, depending on the mountain that we pick for them will depend on how long the training is um, and how, um, and how many months, obviously, like how many months the training program will be. So how do we pick guys? It's, we don't really pick guys. Like it's, it really takes the guy that really wants it. Like mm-hmm. most of the guys that went through the program have just annoyed me on emails. Like <laughs> I can, I want this, you know, um, but there's been a lot of the guys where we just literally went down to the hospital and they haven't even got the prosthetics yet and said, Hey, do you want to climb a mountain? Like a lot of them start off those journeys like that. But obviously now there's not a lot of guys that are coming back wounded. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's like, okay, well, you don't have I'm not going to the hospital these days like having amputees that are inpatients like at one time there was like over 100 inpatient amputees at just Balboa alone Mm -hmm. not to count all the guys that were in Walter Reed so there was a really big need for this and so now what I'm seeing is I'm seeing that like there's so many other over 50,000 you know injured guys amputees and then there's the you know the guys that have injuries that you can't see mm-hmm. that are struggling with things, the suicide and the drug addictions and the homelessness and all that other, the battles, the demons, you know, they, they weren't able to leave that shit on the battlefield and they brought it back mm-hmm. and they don't know how to deal with it. Um, but as far as like amputees, a lot of these guys, they've gotten their prosthetic legs. They go to the market, you know, maybe they play wheelchair basketball or, you know, maybe they've walked the 5K, you know, maybe they've they're just going to the mall with their wives, you know, and they're just kind of going through the motions of life. Mm-hmm. And they never really challenge themselves to see what they're truly capable of. And that's the guy that really is a good fit for us, because if a guy is missing his legs, it's it's hard for him to wake up in the morning and to put his prosthetics on putting the liners, making sure they're clean, getting the suction, making sure your prosthetics, everything's working on them and the right shoes and putting them on and getting up and getting the suction and, you know, walking around. It's just easier just to get onto the wheelchair. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. the easy route. Yeah. And a lot of guys do that, you know, and I come in and I go, no, 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 uh-uh. we're going to take that wheelchair. We're going to toss it down the effing river. Let's go. Let me show you where you're capable of. And you're going to go climb a 25,000 foot mountain with no legs and I'm going to show you how to do it, you know? So and so that, le- that leads me to this question. How did you know how to train somebody who's an amputee and, and what kind of adaptive gear would you need? Did you just, you just did it? I did it. I had no idea. I was on Everest. <laughs> I was on Everest on one trip 
And there was a guy who was missing his missing limbs. Mm -hmm. And so I picked up some knowledge from him watching his journey. Mm -hmm. But I honestly just figured it out as I went, you know, and back back when I started this in 2009, that photo there, that Russia trip, you know, he was above the knee. It was injury. And the technology back then, like the battery technology was horrendous. Mm -hmm. And he's got a mechanical knee. Well, once the power, he had no power in it, leg wouldn't work. Oh, my gosh. Like, it walk like a, like a peg leg, you know, but it wouldn't function. And so the only way to do that would be to get a solar panel and to charge it up every night. But when we're pinned down for three days in a storm and there's no sun, we can't power that leg. Mm -hmm. So what do we do then? You know, it's like, okay, let's figure this out. And then it was like, then we get to another mountain. And those prosthetics, when you get below zero and it's freezing, that prosthetic starts put, getting really cold and their stumps are inside that prosthetic. And it's just that metal's coming up mm. and it's starting to starting to get frostbite. And so then, you know, we get some bed rolls and we tape things up around it and heating packs. And so it was just like, and then of course I'm working with, all the prosthetic guys like down at Balboa and Peter Harsh um, uh, prosthetics. And so all these different like hanger and all the different companies. And I would tell them, okay, well, first we need a shorty of stubber stubbies. And then we'll go and we'll hike a little bit with that. And then that's not working. We got to make some adjustments or, you know, and then of course, when you get to altitude, there's shrinkage, there's swelling. Mm -hmm. Then you get guys that are now they're putting all this work in, they're starting to lose weight. Because doing cardio when you're missing limbs is really difficult to keep your weight down. And so once you start training, you know, with us, start losing weight. Well, when you lose weight, then your prosthetic fitting, you have to put more liners now because your, your stumps are getting smaller. Wow. So it was just this whole learning curve. And now that I've been doing it for 13 years and put guys with every kind of injury there is on every summit around the world, like I got it now dialed in now i know the formula i bet and so for a guy that wants to, to 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 do this and he's a little lost right now or he's never really challenged himself in his injuries you know there's no better there's no better that battlefield than than climbing big scary mountains mm -hmm. you know so unfortunately is that a lot of these guys don't live in california like you're in florida we're in southern california we have tons of mountains where we train the guys um but i can't help the guy who lives in alabama or florida because we don't have we can't afford the we don't have housing you know and all, everything they got to kind of live out here and we've been fortunate enough to have a huge injured community mm -hmm. in southern california so we've been to affect we, we're able to affect a lot of lives um but we're getting ready to make the next big step and we're building california's first veteran retreat center up in our local mountain where we train all the guys and we'll have housing. And so we're going to break ground in about the next month, two months at the most. Um, so we'll have some serious fundraising to do to build this thing. But we'll have a place where a guy who's struggling with some things and he lives in Florida or he lives in Alabama or in Georgia or wherever, we can fly him out, pick him up at the airport, bring him up to the mountain, throw him in the cabin, no cell phone, no Wi-Fi, and it's basically like going back through boot camp again. No cell phone or Wi-Fi? That's kind of cruel, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs>
Well, we will have Wi-Fi when they're back in their cabin, you know. But Can't when we're imagine. on the mountain, yeah. But when we're on the mountains, we have a strict no cell phone policy. Okay, got it. Don't want it. We want them to be in the moment, in the now, and I want them to cut off all the noise mm-hmm. from down the hill. Well, you that know, is so exciting. Yeah. So, but the way we have an application on our website that they can go in and fill that out. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we get those applications every month. And so, and then basically we select who we feel could benefit the most from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we look at what mountains that we have coming up in the future and we look at their injuries and what would be the right mountain for their injury, you know, because some guys that are really injured, you know, climbing a, a 10,000 foot mountain is like climbing Mount Everest. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal for them, you know, so you got to kind of pick that right mountain for the right injury. And so we want it to be a, a really a struggle because if you don't have that struggle in that journey, then there's really no change. There's no rehabilitation. So, but they can go onto our website, theheroesproject.org. They can fill everything out. And then it's just, you know, it's one of those things where our village that we've built up around us spreads the word. Like you're on the forefront, you're dealing with a lot of these guys, you know, maybe there's somebody down in Florida that you, or somebody who's a part of the EOD Warrior Foundation that For sure. seems that can benefit from this. And then you tell him and he tells this one, and this one tells that one. And that's pretty much how most of the guys have we've worked with, how they started with us. Yeah. So, well, that's so exciting that there'll be more opportunity for people across the United States, not just in California. Um, Definitely. Yeah. So, and and I'm sure there's plenty of of veterans uh, in Florida and just all over the place thinking about it um, that would sure. be probably interested in your program, um, but never really had the opportunity, like you said. Um, yeah. So, listening to you talk, I've noticed that you have said guys um, when the guys go climbing. So it leads me to wonder: Has a woman ever climbed a mountain with you, or one? One. one? Okay. One that was uh Kirstie Ennis. Uh-huh. Uh, she she got injured in Afghanistan. Um, got mangled pretty bad. They ended up saving. They saved her foot. Um, you know, she had the brace and she had therapy and you know, but it was just this. It was difficult for her, and it started getting progressively worse. And then she decided to electively amputate her leg below the knee. So she went out to Balboa Naval Hospital, they amputated it, and then two weeks later, MRSA kicked in, oh, infected no. them, and they had to go in and cut her way above the knee. And of course, you know, I was kind of following her journey, and she was going through a big depression because I don't think she would have elected to cut it off mm-hmm. had she have known she would have got, you know, an infection, infection and yeah. cut it up higher than that because, you know, prosthetics and way of life is definitely a lot easier if you're below the knee amputee really a little bit better yeah mm-hmm. because I mean, that knee is really vital mm-hmm. in a lot of things it makes things easier you know but i mean guys have done crazier things without a without a knee but yes it is easier without um with a knee but uh and that was kind of the moment where like okay i think we could help her out benefit her and so i drove down to the Balboa naval hospital and gave her the car and said you want to climb a mountain and she's just like, what? Who are you? But okay. <laughs> and then two weeks later, she got her prosthetics and we started climbing. And then next thing you know, we put her on top of this mountain in Indonesia called Carson's Pyramid. 
which was this like hellacious trek through the jungle and then climbing up this rock face in a snow ice storm and walking across a cable with a thousand foot drop. I mean, just this gnarly mountain and she summited and she was, you know, the first female we worked with. And, you know, I do say, yes, you're right. I do say guys a lot this night. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is that, you know, I could pretty much count, you know, amputations with female injured veterans. Like I can count them mm-hmm. on a couple of hands. Like oh, wow. there's not, there's not been many, yeah. you know? And so, and I think the reality to, excuse me, sorry. No problem. Um, I think, you know, the reality is that they, a lot of the female veterans don't see the front lines, you know, but I think things are changing now and it's a different world we're living in and hopefully that changes. Um, but yeah. And, and, and the crazy thing about it is that when I started this thing and started realizing like, I can't continue to be using my own money. Like I have to do some fundraising events mm-hmm. and I started doing these fundraising events. I started noticing like, we're like 65, 70% females that show up to these events. <laughs> Interesting. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Which is which is great for me, you know. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, this is great. Look at all these women, you know. But I was like, I, it kind of confused me because mm-hmm. I thought that, you know, you know, starting a a nonprofit for veterans, like our targeted demographic would be like 25 years old to 50 years old, NRA member, pro veteran, you know, Republican conservative, like you know, hoorah, you know, like this real testosterone demographic, and it wasn't. It's like female. And I was like, what is this all about? And I'm like, well, women are are more philanthropic than men, mm-hmm. you know? And then the events that we do are always like athletic events. We have them hike up a mountain or ride a bicycle for five hours. And, and so, but we, it, it, along this journey, you know, we built this whole village's community. A lot of them, our biggest percentage or our demographic, like I said, is female they all want to know when are you going to work with a female? I'm like, I'm ready. Just tell me, where is she? Where is she? Call out. Yeah. So (laughs) it's just, you know, it wasn't by choice. It's just in the injured community, there's not a big, but I think what we're seeing now is I'm starting to get more and more emails from female veterans that are struggling with, you know, demons and PTSD, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that. And I'm starting to see those, those emails are coming through. Um, it's a fine line with 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 our organization because I don't have professional therapists. Like our therapy is like go outside. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you know, don't don't take a pill. Yeah. You know, yeah. don't don't sit in a group therapy session. Go outside. Go put yourself in harm's way. Let's go climb a mountain. Let's go repel off a, a, a waterfall. Like let's do go do something nuts and get those natural endorphins. And mm-hmm. and this is what we do. And so we've had a few veterans that came you know in, in our path and just realized that we don't have the the professionals to deal with that mm-hmm. and so that's why you know we built this village and so there's an organization back east called home base and i love home base yes what i love yes. them mm-hmm. and they specialize in you know females males veterans that are just really dealing with the demons and mm-hmm. can perfect, give them the professional help and then and I'm hopeful that when they're done with that and they have the tools to deal with that, then I can show them what we do. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. So we're open to it all, you know, but mm-hmm. yeah, I think everybody has, you know, we're not right for everybody. 
Yeah, exactly. No, that makes so. that makes perfect sense. Um, so I, I'm keep going back to this, and I have to ask you because you know when I asked you about what motivates you, um, you had said after your first climb, you were just kind of hooked on this, like, um, you know, from giving you receive, and I and I totally get that. But when you were in your initial like valley, right, where you you were on pills and booze and and just in this dark place, um, what 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 do you contribute that aha moment? I know you said the book, but like when you decided, it's challenging. So what motivated you before you you know got this bug helping veterans climb mountains? I mean, it really wasn't. It was. First, I had to to take care of me. Mm-hmm. Like number one over here. Like mm-hmm. I can't. Like I mean, I was just a mess to everybody. Like I just I had to take care of me. I had to go through this journey myself. And then I realized after a year of you know drinking and drugging and fighting and doing all this just stupid shit, like that it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I lost everything. I mean, the club had enough of me. My girlfriend had enough of me. My family had enough of me. And like, I was just out of control. And I was just kind of yeah. laying there on the couch, feeling sorry for myself, you know, high as a kite. And then it was just like the lights went. I don't know. It sounds weird, but I like the lights were like coming through the blinds and they were shining on the bookcase. And like, I don't wow. know. Really, wow. I'm not really like a good reader, but there's only a couple books there. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but there, thin air was on the shelf. The light was like beaming through. I'm just the light from heaven. That was like, yeah, Tim, it was like, yeah, and come it was like, back. like yeah. and it's just like, read me, read me. That's incredible. And I, like, I love that. And it's like drunken haze. And I just remember mm. looking up, and I just I hobbled over to the bookcase and grabbed it and sat down and and just I don't know. It's just that it was just that moment. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I guess you can call it like. I guess alcoholics, drug addicts call it, they had to hit rock bottom. Yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe like it takes somebody's wife to tell them that I want a divorce for them to get their shit together. You know, I I don't know. Like it's, it's different for everybody. Yeah, yeah. But I think also, you know, what, what could be very inspiring for others that, that maybe are struggling right now to, to get to that point where it's like you said, I need to take care of me. So. Um, I think that's pretty profound and, and maybe some people might think it's selfish to even say that or think that, but it, I think that's really important and a, and a great message there. Um, yeah. so, so the other thing I was interested in is the different operations because I went on your website and there was like the volcano summit and can you kind of, um, explain those to us, the different projects? Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of, I mean, it basically just started off like, let's, Let's just go climb a big mountain, mm-hmm. something that's, you know, big and something that's not in America, mm-hmm. something that's like international. And and there's a, a lot of reasons for that. And I think one of the big reasons why is that like a lot of the veterans, the only time they left America is to go to Iraq or Afghanistan. Wow. Interesting. And, when they go, and that's really not really traveling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you know, you don't need a passport. <laughs> you don't need to exchange money. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, some, some of the special ops will do shit like that, but you don't need to exchange money. Yeah. You, don't need to learn, you don't really need to learn the language. Like some of it, you don't need to like learn how to like navigate taxis and, 
where to stay and like everything that comes with travel and engulfing and, and saturating yourself into a new, a different culture and different way of life. The you fun know? Like, stuff. You know, yeah. And <laughs> yeah. I think, and I think a lot of that once we train them, get them all ready for the mountain. And then it's like you embark on this international journey. It's all of that stuff comes into play with the rehabilitating thing, mm-hmm. you know? And it's just like, we're all human. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter, you know, what country you're from. It doesn't matter, you know, it's like, you know, the the Taliban is in this one or, you know, this one is this terrorist group here and this, you know, communism here and and all this stuff. We're all just like humans. And so, you know, just because one person or one group is doing something bad doesn't make the whole the whole um you know, religion or the whole, you know, uh, citizens of that country, bad people, you know? And so I think I show them a different side and and the side that I'm showing them is that like, you know, like porters that help us carry all the gear up these mountains, you know, and help, you know, muling them up on donkeys and things like that. Like you're hanging out with these people that are locals and it's just that whole experience of that journey goes takes them through it all helps into that revoltating factor. So mm-hmm. I think um, <clears throat> that it's important that we do the international climbs. I mean, there's a lot of great mountains here and we do all the local mountains in America, but the operations, like I basically just said, well, I wanted to like, I'm trying, I was trying to create this, like making them feel like they're back on the battlefield again, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, I get it. I get me- it. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, I call it like an operation and like a lot of these guys, like, you know, like, you know, let's just be, let's just uh, be blunt. Right. Guy goes through boot camp, comes out, bam, goes, becomes an EOD, becomes a staff sergeant. He's got a platoon of guys under his command. He's got the buzz cut. He's ripped. He's in great shape. You know, he's got an M60 on his back. He's trained in everything. And, you know, he walks into most bars or wherever and the women are swooning and he's getting girls numbers, you know, oh or the girls, this, this girl's this badass G.I. Jane, you know, and like guys are swooning over like this whole thing. And then all of a sudden, boom, next thing you know, they get injured and they're missing legs. Oh, yeah. And now somebody's pushing them in a wheelchair, feeling sorry for them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, <laughs> like just because you're missing some limbs, you're still that guy. You're still that girl, you know? And so how do you get them back to that? Mm -hmm. And I feel like you got to put them back in harm's way and you have to give them that camaraderie of a team. And that's what climbing does too. Like before a guy like leaves a wire to go out on patrol, he's got to make sure that he's got his team. They got to make sure they got their comms communication. They got ammunition. They got a first aid kit. They got this, they got like, they got to check, 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 check. Everybody's got their back and they go on these missions. Well, when yeah. we go out, out for like a summit, it's the same stuff. Do we got our ice axes? Do we have our rope? Do we have our crampons on? Do we have oxygen tanks if we need it? Do we have first aid kit? Do we have, you know, extra layers? Do we have goggles? Do we have this? Do we prepared. Do we have bivvies in case we have to bunker down for the night, like all this stuff. And a lot of these similarities is similarities to what they went through when they were part of the military. And so Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to create this, you know, 
get them back to be the Marine, the Navy guy, Army, the soldier that they were. Wow. And that's and that's why we call them operations. And that's why it's like, that's the goal. You're going to this big mountain. And this is the journey we're going to take you to prepare you for it. Just like EOD guys are training, you know, to go over and go into a foreign country where that squad is needed. It's like yeah. the end goal or being prepared for that end goal. And so I just try and create these different similarities. And so we came up with, and it had to be something cool. So it was like, oh, let's do the seven, <laughs> sun, the seven Operation Seven Summits. And that's yeah. the highest mountain, seven different continents. There's only been about, I think it's up to like maybe like 2,000 people have done it now. Mm-hmm. And there's Operation Seven Volcanoes, which is a new thing now that a lot of people are doing, professional climbers are doing, where it's basically every highest volcano on every continent. You know, wow. and then there's the North Pole, the South Pole. Like there's just all these, like we have a whole list here at the office of all these different, you know, adventures that we're going to take these guys on um, and put them back in harm's way. But we just have to have the right guy mm-hmm. that's going to go. Yeah. And so, but at the very least, you know, like this, this retreat center that we're building, the West LA VA has a housing unit out here. And so we'll be working with them every week. They'll be bringing guys up every week. And we'll do shorter programs. You know, I'll have like a couple week program. Somebody could fly in for the weekend and we'll teach them some rock climbing skills and just kind of get them out in the outdoors. Mm -hmm. And then whoever we see that could use needs more of it, could use more of it and is benefiting from it, then we might select them for one of our bigger climbs. Mm -hmm. So but that's what we do. That's what the operations are. Wow. So tell us a little bit more about this groundbreaking. So you said that, did, I think you said that you were partnering with a forest out there. Where is it going to be at? So it's on a mountain called Mount Baldy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about 45 minute drive from downtown Los Angeles. Um, it's over 10,000 feet, it's 10,064 feet. And it's uh, a lot of people don't realize it. Well, how do you have this organization like in Los Angeles and you climb like, you know, big mountains like Everest and all this stuff. Like, how do you, how do you train for that living in LA? Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't understand, like my LA is a lot different than most. Like we have three mountains that are all within an hour, hour and a half drive from Hollywood, California, from the entertainment capital world, three mountains that are all over 10,000 feet. Mm-hmm. And all those mountains, bear, bighorn sheep, mountain lions, cougars, like rock climbing, ice axing, mountaineering, like proper mountains, like, and so it's actually the ultimate training grounds. And then we drive another, you know, three and a half hours, we can go up to the Sierras and get up to 14,000 feet. Mm -hmm. So we really are in a place that has like the the best training grounds to prepare you for the big mountains. And I've utilized Mount Baldy as like our home base, because we can do a lot of things there. We can repel off a hundred foot waterfall. We could rock climb, we can put ice axe crampons on and we can go up almost a vertical pitch up a snow ice pitch um, and teach mountaineering skills. Like it's just got everything. And so we've been applied about four years ago with the United States Forestry Service because it's forestry land, San Angeles Crest National Forest. Um, and it's been four years of just really a difficult journey of applications and this and that, because you're essentially going into partnership with the, the federal government. Mm-hmm. Um but we feel it's important to have our retreat center way up on the mountains, away from the city and away from 
the cell phones and the Wi-Fi and all the noise. Mm-hmm. We could have easily got, you know, built this retreat center in the city or a little bit further down the mountain or something, but we felt it was really important for the rehabilitating factor to build it up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not cheap. We got a lot of money to raise. Um, we got to raise about $4 million. We're halfway there. Mm-hmm. Um, so we definitely need help from our village. Um, we'll be going into uh, our big fundraising push here in the next month before we break ground. Um, but we figure uh, as long as we get all the funding, we have enough to start building. We should have this thing ready to go by the end of 2024. Wow. Um, all 2024. Yeah. Because we're looking at breaking ground this April. That is so, so exciting. Makes, yeah. Super cool stuff. And so we definitely want to get the EOD Warrior Foundation you know, a part of it. Yes, yes, absolutely. Hang your your logo up high. (laughs) Well, um, so I have another question because this this retreat center sounds like it's going to be amazing. Um, And like we talked about earlier, just allow access from for veterans all over the, you know, country or world, wherever they may be living right now. Um, But for like, I guess, criteria, um, would, would anybody be able to apply for that? Or would you have to be, you know, somebody that has a prosthetic or... No, I mean we we've only we've worked with severely injured veterans, mm-hmm. you know, and that's what started us. But now we're just we're seeing a lot more people that are struggling with PTSD and struggling yeah. with different types of issues, anxieties, and you know just can't seem to find their way. Yeah, yeah. And like the best cure is always the, like the mountains, man. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, like you just can't get that at CVS or Walgreens. Like, <laughs> You just can't get it. You're so, right. I never noticed that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no no doctor in the world that could prescribe what we prescribe. I love so it. Any, so, yeah, of course anybody can, and we mm-hmm. can benefit anybody. But, you know, obviously, you know, it, there's a lot of factors there. You mm-hmm. know, like how bad are they? Are they suicidal? Like they really need a professional therapist. Yeah, sometimes yeah. People just need a little, sometimes people just need a little kick in the ass. They just, I just need to push them off the cliff. And let them fly down a rope, you know, and have the damn bejesus scared out of them. And that might, and that's pretty much all they need. And all of a sudden, it's just like, there's They're that like, chain. I'm better. Okay, <laughs> Thank I'm you. good. And some, you know, but then again, some people, you know, maybe they're better off reaching out to an organization that takes veterans fly fishing. Mm-hmm. Maybe they mm-hmm. need the tranquility and the peace. Yeah. You know, but yeah. the person that needs to Extreme. really dream. Get- Danger. Give us a call. Extreme coldness. <laughs> yes, exactly. Suffering is what they should call it. Oh, instead of gosh. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Everything I don't like. Although I support you, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you live in Florida. I get it. <laughs> Love the beaches. So, well, um, I just, I'm so excited that we got a chance to talk to you and to learn about your really incredible journey, your personal journey and how you took that and just turned it into this tremendous gift to the veteran community. And thank you for all you've done for the EOD community. Um, it's really just mind blowing. Um, so we're excited about, uh, being able to work with you and we're excited about the groundbreaking. Um, and cool. so I kind of want to call out to anybody listening to this podcast um, who may want to donate, who may want to come to a fundraiser, who may want to apply for your programs. What's the best way to get in touch with you and, and find out more about what you're doing? 
Well, if you go to the website, theheroesproject.org, you also have the Instagram, the Twitter, the Facebook. We even have a TikTok now. Nice. Um, Getting with the times. (laughs) But but, um, but you can go to the website and there's portals on there to become a monthly donor. Mm -hmm. We have, you know, the donation thing and, and my favorite thing to always tell people is like, you really want to, you really want to help us out. You want to support us. Get your ass out to California and come to our event and actually show up. Cool. And come to our event and come climb a mountain with us, you know, go on a little hike, you know, and like actually come out and shake, shake the guy's hands and thank him for their service and like just actually show up mm-hmm. like, but I do understand that. Look, it's great. Give us a follow, you know, give us a like, start following us on the social media outlets. Like That's all great stuff. Mm-hmm. So at the very least that, and if you want to get more involved and you see like what you see, or you come out to California, you want to come to our event, we put it on every year at Veterans Day weekend. Okay. Veterans Day, Veterans Day this year falls on a Saturday, which is when we do our event. Um, it's a super cool event. Um, we feed everybody. We got coffee. We got beer. It's all free. We have fighter jets that fly over the summit. And it's just a super patriotic Veterans Day weekend up in the mountains. And your cell phones don't work. Wow. So wow, wow. That's the best way to come out and support us. Okay. So wait, wait but what is that event? So you've got coffee, it's beer. Called- yeah, it's called Airplanes. Climb for Heroes. Climb for Heroes, Climb, okay. Climb mm-hmm. for Heroes, and it's on Mount Baldy where we're building our uh, facility. Um, and it's like I said, it's a forty-five-minute drive from LAX Airport. Neat. So, yeah, it's super cool. So, and, that, and so like you actually fi- you actually climb a mountain with with that yeah. event, like people that come yeah, to that hike. event. It's okay. a hike. You don't need okay. ropes or like that. So it's just a, it's a hike, and uh-huh. we have different camps set up along the way. Some people go up to Camp One, turn around. Some people go up further than that, you know, and it's just, there's a ski lift there you can take down. And how, so how far up is it? It's about, so the whole entire route is 5.6 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get to each camp is about a mile, mile and a half. Mm-hmm. So it just depends on what kind of shape you're in. If you want to do the first walk, you know, hike a mile and a half or and turn around and go back, or you want to go up to, you know, another mile and a half, mm-hmm. it's all up to the person. And so it's just a fun day. That but that's that's awesome. our favorite way. It's, yeah, we, we like to meet people and see them in person. But at the very least, like, we would just love to have all of your listeners to just give us a follow and yeah, get some shout outs. And then more importantly, if they know anybody that's struggling, mm. that listening to this podcast and hearing all these crazy mountain stories I'm talking about, <laughs> like, maybe they think that their friend or their loved one just, you know, needs to get really shooken up. If they need to be pushed off a mountain, then just reach out to Tim. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. He's your man. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, it's been so cool talking to you and I appreciate your time so much. And um, yes, call out to all the listeners out there, get in touch, support, maybe come out to this super cool event. Um, well, they could buy some cool swag too. Ooh, okay. We love swag. Very cool swag. hat. <laughs> we got hats and booty shorts and bandanas and hoodies, all kinds of cool shit. Well, EOD community loves booty shorts, so maybe you'll get a bunch of orders for those. Um, that was my idea. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, it's our tradition to end every podcast with a, a couple questions of your favorite things. So let me get my questions here. Okay, what is your favorite snack to eat while climbing a mountain? Okay, hmm. let's see. Three things to survive in the mountains. Okay. Or Tim methods. Three <laughs> things. Okay, Gatorade, beef jerky, 
Camel no filter cigarettes and Jack Daniels. Really? That's it. <laughs> what a combo. <laughs> well, I'm was- sure a lot of the EOD community will relate to those four items. <laughs> uh, they're like, yep, that's about right. <laughs> okay. Yes. I'm also the first guy to ever bring a bottle of Jack Daniels to the summit of Everest. Oh, how funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Good everybody, vaccine. did everybody instantly become your best friend when they saw it? <laughs> I guess. Yeah, that was a good one. So, didn't get any sponsorship from Jack Daniels. I think they could have sent me a free bottle, but at no. least. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's that, those are those are my favorite things. There you go. To survive in the mountains. That's it. Beef jerky, Gatorade. Camel no filter cigarettes. Terrible okay. for you. There it's you all banned for you. <laughs> okay, my second Last. question. What is your favorite music to listen to while climbing if you are able to listen to music while climbing? I kind of had that question when I was thinking of the question. Yeah, I always like I, I always love when the guys I encourage them to to listen to music going up. Mm-hmm. No music coming down, but music going up. Okay. And so, so but only one ear. Because oh, when, when you're in the mountains, you want one ear to hear if, you know, someone's calling for help or, yeah. you know, there's a, an aggressive animal coming at you, you know, or anything, an avalanche or whatever. You want to be able to hear out of one ear, yeah. which is interesting because a lot of the EOD guys that I've worked with, a lot of them are can't hear out of one ear. <laughs> so then I'm like, no, no, no. No music you for you. <laughs> well, what they will do is they'll play the music, you know, they'll hang like a little speaker on their backpack or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, um, but what kind of music? I mean, it kind of varies. I mean, I'd probably say like, you know, for me, like I listen to country music 90% of the time. Uh-huh. So I'm always going to lean towards country, but sometimes it just takes some real thrash heavy metal to like really get you to get up a mountain. And, you know, <laughs> I'm just thinking like country yeah. is so mellow and like it's sometimes so depressing. Like just imagine you climbing this like huge mountain listening to some depressing yeah. country song. Well, I mean, you know what they say. Have you ever taken a country and western album, like a vinyl album, and played it backwards? No. You know what happens when you play a country western album backwards? No. Get your wife back, get your truck back, get your dog back, get your kids back. That's about <laughs> right. That sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I'm a cut. I mean, it'd be country music for me. And then uh, if I really funny. need to kick in the ass, I'll put on some Metallica and Slayer. Okay. And See, that's what stuff. I would expect. But <laughs> yeah, but there are those moments where I put on a little Pavarotti, little Andrea Pacelli. Oh, wow. And, I love Andrea Yeah, you really want to just have that Zen of the Mountains. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> um, okay. And my last favorite question for you is what is your favorite mountain to climb slash view? I mean, I really love to say call out a mountain in New Jersey, but <laughs> we don't really have many big ones over there. So, uh, man, God, that's a tough question. I get that asked that a lot. I mean, the Himalayas would probably be my first answer because it's just so goddamn mad- majestical. I mean, when you see the Himalayas for the first time, it's just, it's like, it just, it's a, It'll choke you up. It's like seeing the Grand Canyon for the first time. Wow. And it's a pretty, pretty special place. But as far as like the whole journey and the climbing and everything, I'd probably say like the Andy Mountains down in Argentina and Chile because like they love to eat steak and drink red wine when they climb mountains down there. Nice. And they have like donkeys that bring up boxes of 
wine and and meat. <laughs> so it's like, Are you sure that's not glamping? <laughs> I mean, no, really. Like, I mean, it's it's crazy. They that's they just love that. You'll be at base camp and like the wine and steak. Wow. That's all they eat down there. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. So but yeah, probably Himalayas, definitely. Nice. I mean, it's just it's magical. It's you never forget it when you first see it. Awesome. Well, I'll have to get on Google and I'll have to start looking at some of those pictures because I know I will never see them in person. <laughs> Never know. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, thank you again, Tim, so much. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. And um, we just wish you the best of luck in, in everything that you're doing. And hey, we're, just, we're super stoked and glad to have you, the EOD Warrior Foundation, as our village. So yeah. thanks for everything you guys do. And we're huge fans of yours. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to our Behind the Warrior podcast brought to you by the EOD Warrior Foundation. The EOD Warrior Foundation is a 501c3 nonprofit organization serving the EOD community by providing financial assistance, scholarships, and providing hope and wellness resources for the active duty, reserve, National Guard, retired, and veteran EOD communities and their families. We also honor our fallen and wounded EOD technicians by maintaining the EOD Memorial and Remembrance Garden. We do all this through the generosity of individual and corporate donors and sponsors. If you would like to assist the foundation or support our Behind the Warrior podcast, click the link on our webpage at eodwarriorfoundation.org or contact us at info at eodwarriorfoundation.org. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to tell a friend. The various opinions, beliefs, and viewpoints expressed by guests, contributors, and participants of the Behind the Warrior podcast are their own and are intended for informational purposes only. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions, beliefs, viewpoints, or policies of the EOD Warrior Foundation or its employees and volunteers.